Aalto University Podcast. The, the background of, of, of these this, this, this slides that I'm using, uh, it, it's a musical score. Uh, of course, we can just see uh, some of the basically margins of the score. But it's, it's a score that was dedicated to me on the occasion of my 50th birthday by the great Finnish uh, composer and conductor Leif Segerstam. It's his uh, symphony number 86. You can't really see it. That's where the 86 reads. And, and, and uh, he's, uh, he's quite a character. Uh, in the book about him, there's a story to the effect that uh, he shows up at the opera in order to conduct uh, Wagner's uh, opera Götzendemerung uh, that takes place for five hours. But it has just turned out that the main uh, male character, the tenor, who uh, was supposed to sing the role of Siegfried is the main tenor role. Can't sing. And and uh, so the opera uh, director, who is Leif's old friend, when Leif, who's supposed to conduct the opera, shows up at the opera house, so the director says to Leif, Leif, will you sing, sing the role of Siegfried? Sing. To which Leif replies, yes, on the spot. Uh, so this, 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 is, this is in the book about Leif. So I said to Leif, you know, there's a lot of great material in the book, but, you know, this, did this really happen? And uh, Leif was a little bit uh, uh, agonized by me even suspecting it. He said that, of course it happened. It's in the book. It happened. I said, how is it possible it happened? I mean, how is it possible for you at the same time to sing the male main role uh, from the pit and while at the same time uh, conduct the opera? Uh, and he said, well, sometimes it happens that, that uh, somebody can't sing, so somebody else sings it. Uh, but the one who's supposed to sing it just sort of moves around. So in this case, I was the one that actually did sing it. I said, but, you know, it's words and everything. Isn't, isn't I mean, how, how can you sing even the words? So again, he was a little bit sort of agonized that I'm even asking this kind of question. And he said, well, of course, I had conducted opera several times. So I had already classed through the words while conducting it. Classed through. Now, if you think about the theme of improvisation, that's a theme that over the years I've observed Leif to be kind of irritated about. He doesn't like 
improvisation, but clearly, at least as, as a word. And, and, and this has resonated with me because, uh, I mean, as a word, I'm excited about creativity, although I don't really use it that often. Uh, but but the improvisation to me is difficult. It's I have because I, pre I I suppose it's part because I believe in being prepared. So so uh, in some sense I, I I prepare immensely to to all my lectures. So so uh, I worry about them. I agonize about them. I'm nervous about them in advance. Uh, and and. Uh, Sometimes what comes out of all that could be, if it's a company lecture, let's say, it, 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 it could be that I, I use in terms of the slides, slides that I've already prepared for some other occasion, uh, but putting them in order uh, might take several hours, but then I don't even follow the order. So, so, uh, so, so the theme of improvisation, I suppose, in some sense, still is interesting, and and even important. Even if you might, it it could be that you don't really want to use it in terms of the word. So you could say that certainly Lev Segestam, in some sense, was already prepared. I mean, nobody can do that kind of a performance. To, at the one on the one hand, conduct an orchestra and at the same time sing the male, main male role from the pit if you are not prepared. So, so, but at the same time, what it also requires is for you to somehow allow the situation to do something, as if they're through you. So, so, so you allow yourself to take this kind of leap of faith into something that is unknown. Maybe nobody has done it before. Now, some time ago, I met uh, uh, the great jazz pianist, uh, Iro Rantala, who's famed for the fact that he improvises. So, so he could be in a live television show, and then somebody says, let's say, some phrase, and Iro starts to improvise on the basis of the phrase. And and so 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 many people appreciated him very much because also he's very humorous. He's really a great guy. So I met Iro Rantala, and and uh, uh, I, I said, uh, in your opinion, who's the greatest uh, improvising jazz player of all time? In your opinion, and and Iro said, well, uh, one of the greatest of all time definitely is. Keith Jarrett. I mean, if you check, for instance, his uh, 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 his uh, Köln concert, it's uh, it's just unbelievable. I said, in what way is it unbelievable? I mean, what's to you as a as a professional? Can can you as a professional describe it to somebody who's completely an amateur? And he said, well, uh, if you would write down, and of course it's possible to write down, the notes that Keith Jarrett in that famed concert, the recording of which is the most sold piano solo album of all time. So you can 
write down all the notes that Keith played in that particular concert. And I can play those notes and many people can play the notes. But the point is the intensity. It's the intensity that is so uh, magical. Now, if you think about some of the uh, aspects of your experience from our day one here. In fact, uh, what you might already now, to some extent, experience, and what you know is possible, is, is a particular kind of something, mentally, that you are somehow connected let's say, to a flow of thought, and through that flow of thought, maybe to some kind of uh, pointing beyond the thought, while at the same time you're also connected with uh, your own experience in some such broadband way. But it isn't that easy to uh, uh, achieve in many contexts, where in many contexts you, you have all kinds of external elements that can disturb that kind of internal focus, that kind of uh, uh, intensity that uh, a human being quite clearly seems to be capable of. Which means that you're capable of a particular kind of focus, a particular kind of intensity, but situations might not support it. Keith Jarrett also is famed for the fact that he's uh, extremely uh, sensitive to, for instance, uh, an audience uh, chatting. Now, of course, when you talk about a concert, uh, it's, it's pretty natural uh, to, to be, if you are a customer, to believe that uh, you have the right to sort of whisper something to the next person. It could be also something quite positive. You're excited about something. Hey, did you hear that? And and uh, most con most contexts are not that sensitive to you know somebody coming a bit late. Let's say some some two persons there chatting a little bit kind of stuff. I mean, this kind of uh, uh, ex external elements are ones that most concert situations allow for. It's it's uh, it, it, it's 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 not uh, really expected that let's say the pianist all of a sudden would stop. Should there be some noise? But apparently this is what Keith Charles does. So he makes as it were a demand on the audience, which is in a sense arrogant. You say, hey, we paid the tickets. We have a uh, uh, we have the right to chat. Hey, this is an open-air place, you know. I, I, I mean, he's uh, tens of meters away. Who's he to demand that we, we can't chat? You could say, yeah, but it could be that uh, he wants us, us, to be able to create something tremendous together through him. And in order for that to happen, there's this requirement uh, of internal focus on the one hand, but the internal focus seems to be sensitive to what happens outside of you. Now, one of the things I would say was quite remarkable uh, during our first day here together. And this is something I can already now sense 
building up again. It's this kind of appreciation for the other one's focus. This is possible for a human being to be appreciative of the other one's focus. In a sense, you could say, well, if you are in a concert and you have good reasons to believe that these people that are there performing, they, they want to give their all and they are pretty good in this something in which they want to give their all, you know, why not me allowing them to do that? Me sort of giving a helping hand. So, so uh, it's that kind of attitude with respect to your uh, fellow seminar participants that I think we were pretty uh, uh, strong in creating uh, when, we, uh, when we were here two weeks ago. And what that meant, I think, is that we were able to create a particular kind of context. Uh, the particular kind of context, I think, allowed for thinking our thoughts in a, in a way that uh, could be that our current activities in many ways marginalize. And, and uh, the astonishing thing is that this can, of course, happen quite easily, that even thoughts that de facto are, upon more careful scrutiny, quite important to you, can marginalize themselves. So it, it's like your, your, your thinking doesn't automatically uh, uh, object if an important thought starts to marginalize. Uh, now, the context at the same time, and of course this is related to what point number one emphasizes, is that uh, we were able to push our immediate concerns at a distance. So, so when you are able to push your immediate concerns a bit to a distance, it's possible for you to also think thoughts that are not immediately related to those concerns. Remember that if a concern is immediate, it's in many ways restricted a theme. It, it contains all kinds of quite idiosyncratic particular parameters. So therefore, to the extent that you think about the immediate concern, you are restricting your thinking quite a bit. Nothing wrong with that, but of course, it means that you're restricting yourself. So it could be that you marginalize something that actually would be important for you to think and to keep in mind, but you, uh, uh, you, 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 you just push it to, to the margin because of the fact that your mind is so occupied by something that's immediate. Uh, now, remember that at the age of, let's say, uh, 28, of course, your experience already now is unique. This is the way a human being is constituted. Everybody's experience is unique. So, so uh, your successes are unique, your blunders are unique, you know, you are unique in terms of your experience. Now, the experience that we have is tremendously rich. It's also because uh, the, the, the human being, when going about, uh, all the time picks up all kinds of things. Some of which become, some of which he becomes, he becomes consciously aware. 
but many of the things she didn't become consciously aware. So, so uh, as I said, I think I, I mentioned the fact that my my mother lives at the age of 91 uh, in Hyvinka, where I come from, in the house that uh, uh, his uh, father built together with uh, his father. So it was my grandfather building with his father uh, this house to which the family then moved uh, when uh, when my mother was uh, 11 years of age. And uh, that's where my mother still lives uh, 80 years later. But my brother was there and and uh, just this weekend and and uh, he had gone through uh, a particular cupboard and 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 found some old papers of my father's there and 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 uh, and, and he said things like uh, i didn't remember that daddy did this this voluntary work for such and such you know there are incredible uh, uh descriptions of these meetings and stuff like that it's it's uh, also he said uh, you know i remember that i found that camera remember the camera that daddy brought in fact as we were told from the front you know the the, the, the camera uh, with which he used to take the photographs uh you know the one in that that brown uh, sort of holder and 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 of course i remembered immediately the camera it's it's uh, you could say it's sort of like uh, our family treasure, but I didn't really remember it that actively. I I, did, I didn't remember the kind of thoughts that came to my mind once uh, my brother started to describe in this context the camera. I mean, uh, our memory works quite contextually. So so uh, to the extent you don't think you are in a given context, you don't remember uh, what you would remember if you would remember the context. So, but not that much perhaps is needed for you to sort of come up with the context. So, so uh, we, we hope the context, we want to create here mentally a context where you could perhaps approach some of those uh, upon more careful thinking somewhat marginalized but important thoughts that just pop up from your own experience and uh, that might prove significant. Now, of course, your life will continue. Uh, last time, some people pointed out that this is uh, his or her last course. It was quite touching to me. The person said, you know, the first lecture by a professor I heard when I came to Alto was by you. Uh, this is because of the fact that uh, I've had the honor of having typically a one hour slot during the uh, um, uh, introduction week. Uh, and and uh, so in this case, it was the first lecture by somebody uh, uh, who works here as a professor and now the person said, I'm, I'm, I'm 
completing my studies. This is the last course I have. So it's sort of like an arts coming to where it started from. Uh, and and uh, I was touched by this kind of thought. Uh, and of course, you know, uh, our lives continue. But sometimes it happens that as your life continues, it takes a jump. So, so you add something there, and you have already added to something many times. So in terms of the unit, it's something that you have already picked up quite a few times in the course of the years. So you would expect the effect to be the same as it has been previously. But in this case, the effect isn't what it has been previously. Because for some reason, some cup has been become full. And all of a sudden, it could be, for instance, spill over. So, so, so there's this uh, sudden change in, in, in the overall quality of the something. This is a non-linear growth. So, so the idea of non-linear growth is that you add a unit that you have already added many times, but the effect is uh, bigger than it ever was before. So, so, so you couldn't have predicted by just looking at the unit that you did add that it can have that kind of an effect. So, so uh, we are going to have four sets today, like the first time. And, and uh, of course, you can think about those four sets that they are pretty much each of them like the four sets we had when we were here uh, uh, two weeks ago. And for this reason, you might, for instance, think that after the break, when we have the lunch break, uh, you know, I hate to do it, but in fact, there are certain things I should really get done. So given the fact that uh, SI is going to continue after the number three set today with the number four set, and the number four set which completes the whole thing, maybe is even more exciting. So, so uh, two things then that I need to skip, you know, uh, set number three is the one I perhaps could skip. And, and uh, this is one sort of, yeah, you can, understandable way of thinking. And, and uh, uh, probably if you evaluate that kind of uh, possibility, you evaluate it with respect to what the sort of unit uh, um, reward from would be from your point of view. You know, how much do you get from a given set from ESAs? You could say, uh, well, uh, they've been inspiring, you know. In fact, I heard ESA the first week when I studied at Alto, it was inspiring, it was different, you know, I didn't really understand what he was talking about, but it, it was sort of interesting. Uh, and and, and uh, a good video cut. Uh, it's, uh, so, so, uh, uh, but, but you have a view regarding which you can, in a sense, evaluate uh, the outcome of a given unit, in this case, SS1 set. But of course, what you will have difficulties, in fact, to evaluate is what you're thinking might do with that particular content, with those particular videos, with the, with the context that would be there right after lunch. Also, when you feel uh, uh, that part of your energy is in the stomach and everything. 
So, so, so uh, it, it could be that all those things, in fact, when you think about your momentum forward, might mean a possibility for a non-linear uh, step upward. So uh, it's because I believe that our mental growth, that our thinking can take such leaps that I think it's so important to try to take most out of the system that we have that has such a possibility. I mean, put it, let me put it this way. If you think about yourself as a whole, if you think about yourself as kind of a system, what we know of, for instance, your blood circulation as a subsystem is that it's an ingenious system. Now, the ingenuity of that system is because there are other things it connects with. So although you can study medicine, physiology, and so forth, and, and specialize yourself in, in blood circulation, make a dissertation, uh, may, maybe a contribution to the international understanding of blood circulation, of course, the point of blood circulation is that it connects with other things. So, for instance, how, how your brain works, let's say, uh, how, how you move your body, there are all kinds of things your blood circulation relates to. So, so uh, uh, but of course, it's, it's too big a thing to think everything it relates to. So, so it's a good idea, it seems, to, to, to narrow yourself, to sort of pick up expertise regarding, let's say, blood circulation. But the clear point is it's an ingenious system. Now, you could say, uh, isn't it likely that when it comes to the more mental dimension, whatever it might consist of, and even your physical body consists of all kinds of subsystems, the ingenuity of which is related to some, some other systems, you know, it's highly likely that, 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 that your, let's say, memory system, whatever it might mean, uh, is ingenious in its own way. But it could be that, uh, that you use it pretty narrowly. It's, it's uh, uh, more general. It could be that, that, that uh, whatever we've got, we are using pretty narrowly. I mean, it's possible for a human being, for instance, to improvise. I said that uh, I have some uh, uh, somewhat hesitant attitude to the word of improvisation. And, and uh, just like Leif Sekestam, the conductor, the composer, has reservation with the concept of improvisation, somebody can have hes hesitations with the particular concept. Iro uh, Rantala, the jazz pianist, didn't have such. I'm not sure if, if Keith Jarrett is uh, willing to use that word to describe his art or not. Because really, how you describe something isn't the point, it's the phenomenon that is the point. But it could be that, uh, that, that you use yourself somewhat narrowly as somebody who can improvise. Now, one reason why that might be the case is because much of the time you seem to be tied with something uh, regarding which the specifications are crystal clear. So you need to, for instance, prepare for uh, examination such and such but uh, you are being evaluated in the course of examination such and such using objective criteria. 
So therefore, it's understandable that you want to sort of look into the objective criteria and try to fill the, those, those criteria. But improvisation is something that basically looks outside uh, given criteria. So that therefore, it could be that, that most days you don't really improvise with anything. It says, of course, you could at any time uh, uh, improvise, let's say, uh, uh, how you walk somewhere. If it's a route you need to take, but you know, you could improvise. You could stop, for instance, and watch a little bird. So, so uh, giving for that, let's say, 15 seconds. Uh, and and uh, particularly if it's, let's say, a sparrow, it's a completely ordinary bird. So, so uh, you know, this is what we know that some of the greatest artists of all time have done, basically. They have looked at, the, let's say, a particular field. Let's say it's a tree. And, and, and let's say if it's a Finnish uh, a painter, you know, everybody in Finland, since Finland has been, has seen that kind of a tree with snow and stuff. But then the person paints it. And, and people start to feel, hey, 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 I haven't really seen this. So we might use ourselves surprisingly narrowly. Now, if you think about this theme from the point of view of the following, uh, some things are more valuable than other things. It could be that there are objective reasons for thinking that something is valuable. It could be that, that it, it's a subjective evaluation. But in the concept of the valuable, uh, is, is, is something that, of course, is, is important also because uh, it's, it's, it's delightful to uh, encounter the valuable. Now, now when, when you uh, perceive the valuable, when you realize the fact that I perceive something that is valuable, the good news is that uh, that might give your thinking a possibility to prepare for yourself to something in the future regarding the potential of the valuable. So, so uh, perceiving the valuable, you could say, is, is not only delightful, but it's also highly useful. So, so in a sense, you're yourself building your future because by perceiving the valuable, uh, becoming conscious of the fact that, hey, this is valuable, maybe it's easier for you to pick up the valuable even where many people didn't see, hey, this is something valuable. Like, I, I was quite struck the other day uh, when reading about two characters that... Uh, all my life, basically, uh, I've uh, known are uh, highly regarded in the country I come from. And in, in fact, their art is something that I've come to appreciate myself so much over the years. Didn't perhaps in my youth do so, so much. I remember, for instance, Eino Leino, the poet, whose statue you see there in Esplanade. You know, uh, 
making this in, in passing, it's interesting, you know, the Esplanade. This, this is, uh, in, you could say this is the number one street in the entire country. This is the capital. Here is this sort of Park Avenue. So, so, so this, this is where, you know, the country signals where the most important things are. So, and then you ask, well, uh, are there any statutes? The answer is yes, there are statues. Are there any statues that are sort of look alike statues? So that anybody who walks by recognizes, hey, this is some human being. The answer is yes, there are two sats. And the other one of those two is Enole, you know, this is a poet. And uh, there's another statue there also, uh, the statue of. Uh, J. L. Runeberry, another poet. But uh, the second one uh, wrote in Swedish. Eno Leino wrote in Finnish. Interestingly, I'm just also mentioning this in passing. Uh, if you go and look at J. L. Runeberry, this is, you could say, perhaps the very center place, because it's right in the middle of the Esmeralda Park. But if you try to find the name of the guy whose statue this is, you won't find it. Because it's taken for granted everybody knows in Finland this is a statue of the poet of our country. So uh, there is the statue of Runeberry, there is the statue of, of, uh, of Eino Leino. And of course, the idea of this kind of statues, uh, institutionally speaking, is to emphasize the valuable. We hold this to be valuable. Uh, but it's difficult for a human being to perceive the valuable. So although there might be at the most important place in the entire country, let's say a statue, which clearly signals that it's a human being, it's a statue for, you might not be that excited. It could be because you're not that interested in poetry to start with. I mean, why should you be particularly excited about poetry? I mean, it's, it's sort of metaphorical. It's, it's, it doesn't really say what it's about. Now, if you say, well, uh, human beings are capable of experiencing something when reading a poem. In fact, uh, we know as a historical fact that some people have gotten astonishing strength from poems. In fact, one of our key examples in the first seminar day was the video clip uh, of, uh, of Nelson Mandela in the film Invictus, in which uh, the punchline uh, uh, circles around a poem. So we can understand that a human being is capable of being inspired by, a, by words, by poetry, uh, but of course, you don't need to open up, as it were, this venue for the valuable. Uh, but it's possible through that venue for the valuable, not only to use yourself more broadly, doing more justice to what you in fact have as resources, and through that also to perceive something that is valuable outside. Now, of course, sometimes the valuable comes out 
as the, in a format that is very hard for you to miss. So, so for instance, it could be that a separate individual does something in a context where uh, the valuable is defined in some clear-cut way. So uh, it, it could be, for instance, that uh, in the context of sports, some individual scores a goal. But, but everybody knows that in this kind of sports, let's say football, goals are specifically the target. And, and uh, people trace those goals, people keep track of the goals, because the entire thing is decided by very, very simple arithmetic. Uh, whereupon you count the goals and then compare the goals. So you could say, sometimes you can point to an individual who does something and it's so, it stands out. So as a result of it standing out, you realize, hey, this is something valuable. Now, in some other cases, however, this is not the case. It could be that something that is done that in fact is valuable isn't really done in such a way that any single individual would stand out. Uh, one of the puzzling features of Leif Segerstam, the composer, the conductor that uh, very generously dedicated this symphony of his 86 to me is that his symphonies, including the one he dedicated to me, or including the one that he just recently dedicated to the son of our president. Uh, the premiere took place a couple of weeks ago uh, in, in Turku. But Leif's uh, symphonies are unusual in that there's no conductor. And, and uh, you could say, well, isn't that kind of perverse? No, it's not that perverse when you think, think about it. You know, there's a lot of music that isn't performed with a conductor. I, I, I mean, uh, you might have sort of a band leader uh, but, you know, actually, quite a lot of music is performed without a conductor. I.e., somebody who stands out in front so that everybody sees him. And, and the somebody is doing something that everybody thinks is valuable, although he doesn't play anything. In fact, he's so conspicuous as compared to 120 musicians. But it's very tempting to think that actually he is the key person of the entire thing. And, and uh, I mean, this is the way we conceptualize, this is the way we perceive, we, we pick up to something that stands out. But as I said, with Leif's symphonies, there's no conductor. This means, of course, that when it comes to playing them, each musician needs to look at the notes, of course. But this is what the musician needs to do. You play the notes that are marked for, let's say, violin. If you play the violin. If you play the piano, you play the notes marked for piano. But in the case there isn't any conductor. Not only do you need to figure out 
what you need to play note-wise. You also have to figure out when to play what you want to play. And to this effect, you need to be aware of what others are doing and make the kind of evaluation by yourself when to come in and how to come in. So, so, so it's, uh, it's something that Leif calls as a freely pulsating. Uh, it's, it's, uh, the, the orchestra makes it each time different. And, and so each of his orchestra have this kind of a quality to them. But people find this puzzling. Uh, I mean, more generally, the fact is, people find puzzling something where you can't point to some one reason. You know, should it be the case that somebody would somehow be found who put on fire the wild fires that now devastate California? You know, just imagine how pleased everybody would be. So, because it's great if there is some one, perhaps, person you can point to who is the reason for this. But very often, of course, this isn't the case. And still, the something that takes place is valuable. Of course, with California uh, wildfire fires, it's, it's the opposite. Sometimes the valuable does come through to an individual, and still you miss it. Uh, now, I, I'm going to come back to this last point. Uh, but I'd like to, in this context now, show you two videos. The first video is about synchronized skating. This is a relatively new sports form, synchronized skating. In Finnish, I think it's beautiful uh, uh, expression and very descriptive description in the Finnish when you say muodostelma uh, luistelu, uh, sort of formation skating. But in, in, in English, you speak about synchronized skating. Of course, it is synchronized because the idea is that this this uh, this this group of uh, uh, this this group of uh, uh, skaters they synchronize their skating with that of the others. And 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 uh, the astonishing thing about this, however, in terms of what we are accustomed to, is that at 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 no at no place of the uh, of the task, uh, one person can come out as the hero. This is extremely unusual situation. In most sports, also team sports, uh, what those sports men or women are trying to do is something that somebody can do in such a way that it stands out. They're about becoming a hero. So although the person afterwards is likely to emphasize the fact that, you know, uh, it, it's the team, you know, I, 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 I got such support from such and such, you know, still people are excited when there's some one person that stands out. But in synchronous skating, this is not the case. So, so uh, it's, it's for this reason that it's difficult to really figure out, you know, what's, what's the valuable? Where, where is the difference to something that isn't so valuable? 
Now, to some extent, you can, however, sense it. Of course, to the extent that you would start to follow this kind of sport, your eye would gradually start to pick up the more difficult patterns from the more easy patterns. This being one of the features of what it means to become an expert in something, to develop your, your understanding of something that you are more able to pick up patterns. That being one human possibility to pick up patterns. Which patterns are beyond what is there immediately to be perceived. So uh, I'm going to take you now for uh, a few minutes Altogether, it's maybe three and a half minutes. But I'm doing it in such a way that we go into the performance. So I'm not playing it from the beginning. So we go into the performance, and then the, the performance ends. And as it ends, uh, you'll see from the video clip close-ups. And as you see those close-ups, you start to realize some of the difficulties, some of the challenges, also, the fact that, you know, uh, it's, it's in many ways pretty scary where, you know, the, the others razor sharp uh, uh, blades hang around in, uh, at, at the level of your face a few ten meters, centimeters away. And or uh, if, if, you, if you are swirling around and, and, and you go towards the other uh, at the uh, uh, people of your team and hope that there is a hole there. Also, what you see there is once the performance is over, the fact that, of course, each of those skaters was an individual to start with. So you see the difference in how they, for instance, react now that the performance is over. So, so when something goes spectacularly, people as individuals will react differently. So, so somebody can, for instance, show tremendous joy and, and, and smile beautifully, but somebody else can start to cry. People are different. So when you give your all, people react to having given all differently. So you see this quite beautiful there. Then uh, uh, this, this, this close-up takes uh, some time, maybe a minute and a half, but then uh, the camera returns to the live situation because it's been taken all this time for the judges to count the points. And then the points are announced. And, and it turns out that the, the team we saw there won world championship. So please, uh, please pay attention uh, to how they react, particularly, I would say, the lady on the right it's particularly sort of worth observing in terms of uh, uh, her uh, uh, reaction. So, so let's take a look at this. Now, if, if you think about this, this uh, conceptualization uh, from the point of view of the uh, perceiving the something valuable when there isn't any individual you can sort of hang on to, uh, uh, and, and to which you can point as uh, uh, saying that uh, the reason why this was valuable is because this particular uh, individual did X. 
So, so, so uh, this isn't to suggest that we wouldn't want to do this kind of uh, analysis where something valuable is, is singled out as a separate entity. It's, I think it's just to remind us of the fact that, of course, a lot of things that actually are uh, valuable are valuable because of the number, because of the fact that the, a number of actors are synchronized, a number of actors are uh, interrelated in the kind of way that a whole is functioning. Now, you could say, in a sense, this is the case of, let's say, your blood circulation. So, so it might have some sort of strange features taken as an individual. But the, but the point is to function as part of the whole. So to the extent that we would want to develop our understanding regarding how to function as individuals, in the context of a whole, you could say, wouldn't it seem like a good idea to start to extend our thinking and to look into contexts that uh, don't, boil, don't boil down to some individual doing X or individual doing Y. Notice how uh, big a challenge this is from the point of view of our self-leadership. Because, of course, as human individuals, our system of experiencing emphasizes ourselves. So, so we seem separate from everything else, from our own point of view. Now, while we seem separate from everything else, of course, the crystal clear fact is we are not separate from anything. I mean, ultimately, of course, we are connected. So, uh, but for a number of pragmatic purposes, it might be good uh, to pretend as if some task is completely separate from everything else. Because then it's easier to orient yourself to that task only, and then perhaps get it done. So there could be all kinds of purposes for which particular conceptualization might be useful. For instance, thinking about something as a separate thing, when in fact, of course, it isn't separate. Because things are connected. Remember, the key challenge that we observed Mandela to face was that uh, his country was uh, uh, cut in two. So, so uh, black people and white people were separate. And there were a number of reasons why, why they have been separate. But in fact, everybody would benefit if they would be more connected. So his idea was to use sports, and in particular, the World Cup they are going to host next year, in order to create a context in which people could feel the connection. But of course, the connection was there originally. It's just that uh, uh, all kinds of historical things, all kinds of man-made things, can make uh, the separation to seem extremely uh, uh, pivotal. So uh, it's, it's also uh, a suggestion for us, I think, to, to, to look beyond the feeling of something being separate. 
the the uh, it's 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 like looking at that sparrow that that might come on your way as you walk to the lunch, and 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 uh, somehow feel the connection. So so and of course I mean we are part of nature. I mean surely there is a connection. So so uh, there is this famous uh, Finnish uh, Christmas song. And now that Christmas is coming, you know, everybody in Finland basically are reminded of this song about the sparrow. And, and, and most people find it extremely touching. But when you see a real sparrow, most, most people are not that touched. So, 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 but of course, you could be touched. I mean, apparently, uh, was it Topelius that wrote the words, was touched by a sparrow? So much so that, that, that he wrote those lines that, that are uh, uh, immemorable. Uh, now, with, with all that in mind, let me give you another example. And uh, you, you have noticed the fact that I quite like this way of working through uh, examples, uh, through also videos. Now, the reason why it's particularly useful, I think, to work through videos is because of the fact that uh, if I say from this kind of stage, now I'm going to show a video. For you as a participant, it's instinctively natural to assume that uh, there won't be anything that would take me by surprise uh, apart from whatever I might experience, but you've experienced the looking at films and looking at videos, so you feel comfortable with the situation where a video is shown, which means that you can approach the situation broadly, and, and especially more broadly than would be the case if I would be just arguing a case. So, so it's using yourself less narrowly. When I say, okay, let's take a look at this video. Now, the second video that we are going to look is, uh, is going to come from uh, uh, another kind of team sport. Uh, you could say pretty manly team sport uh, if signal uh, skating is, is, is a lady team sport. Uh, now, ice hockey, from which this example comes, in this country particularly raises feelings because of the fact that uh, it's been where Finns have made it the best in terms of a team sport. So, so uh, there are a lot of, uh, you could say, uh, uh, hopes and emotions affects loaded into this particular team sport. And, and, but of course, it isn't the sport per se that we are here looking. We are looking at the theme. Uh, I'm not going to describe the theme yet. Uh, what I'm going to do is that I just show the video cut. It's, it's going to take us directly into a game to the uh, concluding 50 seconds into the game. And, and uh, you hear the Finnish commentator, the fact that it's our national team playing means that the Finnish commentator allows himself to be tremendously biased. But it's sort of exciting because of the fact that he allows himself to be so biased.
then uh, then uh, as the game uh, ends, uh, it's, it's followed up by uh, an interview with one of the players that was there on the on the ice, who's going to comment on the goal that we just saw there. Then, in fact, he was the one to serve. So, so, so he's going to comment on it to the extent he remembers it. And although it's such a famous goal, it turns out that he doesn't actually remember it that sharply. So he has to push himself to remember it. Uh, I've translated that uh, as, as English sub, uh, 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 sub, subtitles, that part. And, and uh, uh, in, in the first part, when we just look into the game, what uh, the commentator is saying isn't semantically speaking, so it, uh, it's not significant. It's, it's the feeling there that is, that is significant. So let's take a look at this. This is just uh, two minutes. Ja nyt vai sitten jollain ihmeen ilmeellä kiekko Vanamatskin selän taakse. Kemmelhan tulee pois. Suomi ottaa kunnille kenttämällä jäälle. Ja kunnon neljää vastaan. Suomi hakee nyt sitten. Hakee tasoitusvaalia. Aikaa on vielä. Sitä on riittävästi. Mutta älkää menettäkö kiekkoa. Painikaa. Vääntäkää. Tehkää kaikkea mitä laki sallii. Koivu. Timonen. Koivu. Kuudella neljää vastaan. On aikaa vielä. Mutta nyt se täytyy tulla. Ei tule. Selänteelle pelattiin paikka, Timonen, Koivu, 20 sekuntia, voi herra jestä sentään, tehkää se, Koivu, kiekko kippaa siemaan vielä Koivulle, vielä jatkuu, 10 sekuntia, aivan hurjaa taistelua, Koivu, vetäkää, laua helvinen laua! Oltiin Saku ja Karalahden Jeren kanssa järkkäämässä sitä maalia siinä lopussa. Niin Aika hässäkkähän se oli siinä lopussa. Että ja siitä maalista, mitä mä nyt muistan, niin jäänyt mielikuva, että Saku syötti mulle sen kiekon siihen laidalle ja huusi vaan, että ammu, ammu, kiekkoon maalille. Mutta jäänyt jotenkin se, että se pakki oli siinä edessä koko ajan ja sitten Karalahti oli siinä keskellä vapaana. Niin Sain sen kiekon sohastua sille ja Jere ampui maaliin. Kyllä mentiin ihan improvisoinnin kautta. Jere, Jere hyvyyttä varmasti oli se, että kun Saku ajautui sinne viivaa kiekon kanssa, niin sehän lähti sieltä heti pois niin kuin vapaaksi. Että, että se oli paljon varmaan Jeren ansio. Now, now, now if, if you think about uh, what we saw there uh, from the point of view of a player that actually was there, uh, to me, it's first of all interesting that as he starts to recall it, uh, he immediately thinks about those with whom he did it. So, so his opening line is, uh, uh, "We were, we were." Uh, in Finnish, all teen, we were arranging the goal with uh, Sako and uh, Jere Karalahti. Uh, now, he's doing this instead of, for instance, saying, well, uh, I, I, re I recall uh, seeing the situation where Jere was free in front of the goal, and I passed the puck to, to Jere. So, so he started, doesn't start from himself. This is to me interesting because, of course, you can say that he is sort of the maestro of the situation. 
to the extent that anybody is the master of the situation, I would say he is the master of the situation. Also, already uh, maybe 20 seconds earlier, he had passed the puck quite uh, masterfully to Temu Selanne, who is uh, our best scorer uh, and who is uh, inside the B ring, uh, ready to shoot. And this is a place from which he has made so many goals. So, so, so uh, again, uh, Helminen uh, serves him quite well, but and and, uh, uh, and Selanne does shoot, but it doesn't go in. It's possible. So, so, so to me, it's interesting that he starts about others, but then he goes about uh, those others to such, such such an extent that he ends up emphasizing Jere Karalahti, who's the player that actually did make the goal, but he's a defense player. So uh, his, his normal place is by the blue line. But of course, he isn't by the blue line. He's there in front of the goal. So uh, what, uh, uh, what Helmin and the player that's what speaking there says is that as Saku, who is an offensive player, as Saku started to drift towards the blue goal, he, Karalahti, the defender, uh, went ingeniously to that sort of middle area and I was able uh, uh, to, to, to give the puck to him. And he scored. This is interesting because, in fact, this is not what happens. You know, uh, when you look more closely, what does happen is that uh, he, Karalahti, the one that scores, uh, who there in the beginning, that's 42, that's Karalahti there. Uh, he goes now back to his uh, position. But now we get our goalie out. So uh, a Russian player has been uh, whistled uh, a penalty. So so uh, it's, it's five against four. But if you take your goalie out, you can get six against four. And you can make such a move because it's so close to the end of the game. So, so we take the goalie out and thereupon get a sixth player. Uh, there, there, there he is, as you can see, 42, that's Karalahti, he's in his normal place. But now he starts to drift. As you can see, he drifts there to the, uh, to the middle, and he's going to be there throughout this entire episode. So that's Helminen, that's, that's Koivu, Timonen, Koivu. Uh, that's, that's Helminen now, and, and here you see this, this great pass by Helminen to, to Selene, who's there on the left, ready to shoot. But Karlahti, as I said, is there in the middle where he's going to score from eventually. So Temu's shot didn't go in uh, against Timonen, uh, Saku, Timonen. Now, now here, what's uh, Saku shoot? Doesn't come, come, go in. Uh, Timonen gets the rebound. And, and, and now as this, uh, as this final scene now takes place, it's particularly interesting to observe this character over here. Because this, this is Timonen, the guy who is supposed to be on the blue line. He, he, he's the, the only obstacle between our goal and, and, and the Russians perhaps trying to shoot into the goal. But Timonen has uh, looked at the clock and he has left the place, the blue line, open, so our goal is completely open. So he's going to come and, and block this, this, this huge defense player. So, so uh, notice how it happens. 
Here he is. And and as as you can see, the the defense player is give, giving him some stick. That there's Karalahti completely free, but it's Timonen that blocks the defense player out. So that's it. Now now if you think about what we uh, described here as uh, a challenge uh, with the Sigrunas skating case, uh, hopefully illustrating that, that so sometimes something valuable takes place, but you don't see it really because there's no individual doing to something valuable. So this is the case of Sigrunas skating. It's difficult to follow Sigrunas skating because you don't really know what to look at. It takes some time before your eye starts to perceive the patterns and, and the beauty of the patterns, the challenge of producing that particular kind of, of, of patterns. But the interesting is something the valuable does come through an individual. And still you don't see it. Not even in the case of something so simple as ice hockey. You know, this is really a trivial context, you must admit. I mean, it's, it's just a few... Uh, uh, parameters and each of those is totally separate and still you don't see it it's it's a this is a case that I I, I used uh, the video for several years as as you, as you could tell it's 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 not that sharp in terms of its uh, visual quality because uh, it's pre digital times to start with so it's, I, I used to show it quite a bit because of the fact that it's such a beautiful example, in my opinion, of somebody not thinking of himself. In fact, going so far in not thinking of himself as to overemphasize what anybody can see when you look a bit more closely as being uh, the player who actually scores role there. Now, sometimes it would happen that in the audience for which I would show this video, that I would open up the way I just described, would uh, have in the audience uh, guys that might have themselves played hockey. It could be coaches, you know, people that really follow very, very closely ice hockey, you know, many Finnish people do. But never anybody did come, not once, who would say, Esa, that's a great example. That that's really is so illuminating example. Thanks for showing it. There's one detail there that you might be interested in. And this is the role of Timonen. Because uh, at the end, what actually happens is that Timonen sneaks from the blue line, leaving it behind, leaving our goal open, taking the risk, but calculating the risk with respect to the time that is still left and blocks the huge uh, Russian defense guy. So, so actually, it's, it's, it's largely due to Timonen that it takes place. So, so if you think about it from the point of view of somebody being a star, in many contexts, there are special ways to emphasize value by assigning somebody a star quality. So, so uh, uh, you might have a band and then somebody in the band is the real star. And why is this? Well, this is because the guy is singing. Or she is singing. Like, like uh, in, in my time, there was uh, quite, quite a famous uh, British band, Blondie, in which uh, the lead singer 
Deborah Harry was, was quite conspicuous, very, very powerful. But the key reason why Blondie the band uh, 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 was, uh, well, why they separated was that the other guys started to feel that, you know, we are stars also. Why is there all this attention on Debbie? So, so, so uh, there could be all kinds of energies, all kinds of also negative emotions that must start to flow from the fact that somebody gets the star attention. Uh, and our culture is strong in building up stars. And this is good because it, to the extent that it does single out the valuable. Uh, then there is sort of the support star possibility that somebody serves the star who scores. And, and in many sports, this is a great category as well. So Helminen, who was there interviewed, is famed for his contributions for the Finnish ice hockey because of the fact that he was so great to have in the team because he served others so well. He also scored himself, but he especially liked to serve. And sometimes you have these kind of players, but they never become such stars as are those that actually do score. But the really interesting category is the third category. This is the category that you might describe as follows. Uh, uh, Rita Vatanen, the wife of rally driver Ari Vatanen, uh, was an old friend of Tips uh, my special lady. And I, I, I came to know uh, the Vatanens through Pipsas knowing Rita. So uh, Ari arranged for Rita a surprise party on the occasion of uh, Rita's 50th birthday in a Helsinki restaurant. Just a small group of people. There was Hannu Mikola and, and uh, his, his wife Anja. Uh, uh, and and uh, who was uh, the sort of senior driver at the time of Aris, good friend of Aris, and, and some other people. But one person in the course of the evening said to Rita, whose 50th birthday it was in this uh, small company, that, you know, Rita, uh, Ari is such a star. You know, uh, he's such a star, Ari, but Rita, you're the space. Now, this dimension three is the space dimension. This is what makes the something possible. But this is even more difficult to see uh, than uh, is, uh, is who gives the serve. It's, it's so difficult to see even the case of something so simple as ice hockey. This means from your point of view that it's extremely likely that uh, many of those uh, space-making people, space-making features of your life that make, in fact, uh, your own goals possible and your own serves to goals possible are not perceptible to you. You don't see them. But because you don't see them, you don't reinforce them. So, so you don't do what, for instance, Mandela in our... Uh, uh, First example did to, to uh, Mrs. Pritz, uh, 
when uh, he pointed out to Mrs. Pritz, you are a shining light in my day. So, so quite clearly, Amanda is the kind of character that uh, more accurately than many others see that this, this uh, dimension that doesn't have an institutionalized backing. So if one thinks about, for instance, uh, your mother, it's highly likely that your mother has served you in this third dimension tremendously. Still, at the same time, it could be that, that you remember uh, uh, some of the outstanding deeds that your father did to you. This is certainly, in my case, the case. So uh, I'm offering this example uh, as an illustration of uh, the, 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 the point three here. Sorry. Uh, Point number three there, because I'd like uh, this seminar of ours to be one where your thinking would start to move, not only your thinking, also your thinking about your thinking. That is, your, your sort of helicopter view, your, your meta-level thinking would perhaps be in a position to observe how your thinking takes place with the result that maybe you could make uh, uh, contributions to how your thinking you would like to take place in the future, especially using, uh, uh, using these conceptualizations, seeing what actually facilitates, what actually makes possible, where, where, where are the, 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 the uh, space-creating uh, aspects and people uh, of your life. Let me stop there. Thank you very much for your focus. Uh, uh, shall we have a little chat, maybe? Okay, let's, let's have a little chat. Uh, so please turn to somebody there and, and, and chat for a moment and then maybe five minutes or so and then let's have a, li a little break and I'll call you at 12. All right, thank you very much. <laughs>